You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 54. We're coming up on one year of the podcast. So thanks to all you who have been listening since the beginning. And for those who are just starting to listen, it's been an amazing journey with some fascinating stories and lots of insights from about 50 millionaires that we've interviewed to date with a combined net worth of over $100 million. If you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review in iTunes. It helps us grow the show, helps us reach new listeners. The episode next week will feature a guest interview with Tom Wilwright. He's most known for the fact that he is Robert Kiyosaki's CPA. And on that interview, he shares some applicable investing and tax advice. We also have other exciting guests, including Robert Kiyosaki himself and Sarah Stanley Fala, Thomas Stanley's daughter and author of the book, The Next Millionaire Next Door, where she kind of looks at the millionaire 20 years later after the publication of the initial Millionaire Next Door book. So as far as the introduction for today's episode, we have Frog Dancer Jones. She is a teacher with an average salary of about $70,000 through her working life. She's a single mom with four kids, and she's from Australia. She has a current net worth of $1.4 million U.S. dollars. That's about $1.9 Australian, and that includes $50,000 in retirement accounts, $100,000 in cash, and the rest in her paid-for house and other holdings. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Today on the show, we've got Frog Dancer. Frog Dancer, you want to us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now? Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, Frog Dancer Jones here. I'm from Australia down um, at the bottom part in Melbourne. I'm in my mid-50s. I'm a secondary teacher. I've been divorced for 20 years or 21 years, um, brought up four boys on my own. Um I've been playing around with personal finance and fire for probably about the last five or six years after I paid off my house and then wondered what's next. I don't really want to be working until I'm about 75, confiscating phones and marking essays and things like that. So that's when I started investigating how can I get my finances working for me so I can retire and get my life back. And what is your net worth today? Um, in Australian dollars, it's just under $2 million. It's about 1.9 something. Um, I think in American dollars, it's about 1.4. Awesome. I'm and pretty proud it- about that because when I left my husband 21 years ago, we had a $100,000 mortgage on the house and we had $120 in the bank. That was it. So I took out the money from the bank. I handed him 60 and I kept 60 and that's where the boys and I started from. Wow. And how is that all broken up now? Right. Um, I'm scared of figures, so I do have to track everything because um, I'm an English teacher, not a maths teacher. So... I've got 541 grand in super. That's like retirement fund. Um, I, I did a geo arbitrage on my house. I sold my original house about three years ago and moved 15 Ks or 15 kilometers away and bought a cheaper house. So I 
Um, I released the equity in my first house. So to protect that from tax, I've got a share portfolio um, in a family trust, 218 grand there. And then I've got, I kept 100 grand cash away from that. I thought when I retire, because I'm only going to, hopefully only going to be working for about three, four, maybe five years, I wanted to have a lump of cash put away so that if in the first five to ten years the stock market crashed, I didn't want that to to really impact my retirement. So I put a hundred grand away just in a, a long term, you know, like a term deposit, just so that'll probably be about three years worth of living expenses. So that job's done. I've also got some personal shares in individual companies. Um, that's sixty six grand. I've also got about ten grand. I've got an American share, um, no, I don't know what you'd call it, you know, with a broker over there for some um, Berkshire B shares. So I've got 10 grand there. I'm earmarking that to help pay for boys' weddings, but they're pretty ugly, so maybe they won't ever get married. So that might just continue on. <laughs> and 42 grand in cash, and that includes a 15K emergency fund. I'm thinking about dropping that down to 5K and releasing 10K into shares, but I'm still debating about that. And the rest of the cash is just like the holidays, projects, um, property taxes, I guess you'd call them. We call them rates. And I've also decided to self-insure for pet insurance. I've got three dogs and one of them is a Dachshund, you know, a sausage dog, and one in four of them end up having to have surgery on their backs. So I'll just put... 6K away to cover that just in case, but she's looking pretty good at the moment, so hopefully won't need it. That's awesome. So the 500,000 that's in in the account that's uh, similar to the 401k here in the States, what's that invested in? Is that in index funds? Uh, What what we did, um, because I've talked about this with a friend of mine who's really, really good at crunching numbers, is I've just got it in what they call a a balanced uh, fund. So it's got some invested in shares, and I think it's the um, the top 200 in Australia, so the ASX 200. And then it's got the sections allocated to real estate and, and you know, other stuff. I don't know. It's just spread out all over. Uh, as it happens, it's the top performing um, superannuation fund in Australia for the last, you know, 10 years or something. So happy days. <laughs> Long may it continue. And do you have any idea on, on what your return has been in those funds? I'm sorry. I've got no idea. I just know that it keeps going up. And <laughs> you see, that's like, you go, you go, you good thing. No, that's what we care about. That's what we care about. So I just want to jump back here from the beginning. It's a pretty amazing story, right? You had four young kids. You started out with about 50 grand. How did you know where to go from there? How did you know? you know, financially what to do. Obviously, you went back to work and, and started working as a teacher again, but maybe talk a little bit about that adventure. Well, um, I actually started off with 60 grand and a 50 grand share in the mortgage. So that was like <laughs> really in the hole. And the boys were six years old and younger. So they were, I couldn't go back to work until uh, the youngest one hit primary school because the childcare fees would have killed me. And I wanted to provide a really strong, stable upbringing for them after the divorce because, you know, it's a horrible thing for any kid to have to go through. 
So basically, I relied on the sole parents' pension back then, which was about 18000 a year from memory back then. And that was real hand-to-mouth sort of stuff. But uh, I had to pay out my husband on the house So when we did the property settlement. So the house mortgage went up to, I think, 118 grand. And then when my youngest started prep, I went back to work as a, I don't know if you call them supply teachers or emergency teachers over there, but um, I did that. You know, when teachers are sick, you swan in and babysit their class. And then um, a year after that, I got a, a contract at the local high school, which my oldest son had just started attending. And that was the absolute saving of us. I'm so glad that I got that teaching degree because they just kept, they liked me. <laughs> I don't know why. And they just kept offering me contract after contract after contract. And then, um, so I was able to update my car because I had a Tarago van, which was as aerodynamic as a loaf of bread. It was just <laughs> awful. One day we were we were driving, we hopped out, we slammed the door, and the door just kept on sliding and fell off the car. It was oh, it was a shocker. Um, I thought when it happened, I thought I can either laugh or I can cry, so I laughed. But yeah, I was very very glad to get rid of that car. And then uh, I got tenure at the school, so. I've been working there ever since. All my children went through that as well. I taught a couple of them drama, which was which was really fun. And that enabled me, once I knew I had permanency at that school and I could rely on getting the pay packet every every fortnight, that's when I could really start to to plan. And what I wanted to do was to to do a couple of renovations on the house. So I updated the kitchen and the bathroom got heating, cooling in, that sort of stuff. And I wanted to take the boys on some decent holidays. So oddly enough, I don't know if it's the same in America, but in Australia you can go to Bali or to Thailand or to Fiji cheaper than you can go to Queensland in our own country. So when I found that out, we went to Bali and then a week uh, a week later, that would have been nice, a year later we went to Thailand and I took one of my other kids to Singapore. And in the meantime, though, my main burn through oh, the years was to pay off that house. I really, really wanted to have security. If you leave your husband with four little kids going, feed me, feed me, feed me, and $60 in your hand, Security becomes really, really important to you. So all through that, I kept throwing money at that mortgage. And then when I got to about seventy nine thousand, I on the mortgage. That's after I'd I'd increased it to two hundred grand to do the the renovations. Um, yeah, the bank actually offered to lend me two hundred and sixty thousand, and I was like, I'm ne- I would never be able to pay that off. So I thought, no. Nah, I'm not going over 200 grand and the final the final figure was 199,900 and something like I was bound and determined I was not going to borrow more than 200. So when it got down to pretty low I refinanced at a at a better rate at another at an online bank and then in the last probably 18 months the principal just melted away before my eyes and I paid it off. It took 17 years, but we were finally, I thought, right, we are finally financially free. 
And then I was euphoric for a week. And then I thought, oh, what am I going to do about retirement? And that's when I, I started to, I joined the Barefoot Investor uh, group, learned a little bit about finances there. The share portfolio that I've, I've bought on their recommendations, the personal shares of 66 grand, that's at an 18% um, profit or I don't know what you'd call it, but anyway, 18 grand extra in my, I'm sorry, not 18 grand, 18% um, profit. So that's pretty good. And then I discovered the financial independence blogging world. I'd always blog just as gardening and, and crafting and just and my travels, just sort of doing, saying whatever I was doing. And wow, I had no idea that there was so much information out there and people were sharing it just so generously. So I read like a crazy woman for about two or three or four years. But uh, it started to bug me that there were not many uh, not many people in my demographic writing. In fact, I, I can't think of any. That's um, I'm 55 this year, single parent, had paid off my house, reached, you know, a, a million net worth, not that you can eat the house, so for my retirement I'm not counting the house in my figures, and all these younger people who hadn't got it yet were, were writing about how to do it, and I thought, oh, ugh. You know, I really want to share what I've learned because maybe it'll stop other people making the same mistakes. So one, I think I read one too many articles by somebody who was spouting theory and I just started my blog. So mine's very much personal finance with the accent on the personal. I guess I'm writing for people who aren't natural finance geeks. Uh, I, oh, I'd rather dig my eyes out with a spoon than read a spreadsheet to be honest um just just really really boring boring stuff and so what i i write about is sometimes i write about the things that i've learned like the geo arbitrage with the house that i've enabled me to to cash in on the equity that i've built up i was very very fortunate there because i bought just at the beginning of when the housing bubble in australia took off i knew it was a good buy when we bought it and I was still married back then. That's how long ago that was. And then very soon after that, the housing bubble just took off. So I, I paid or we paid um, 136000 for my house. And three years ago, I sold it for $1.7 million. Wow. I know. That's and crazy. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is because there's no way <laughs> that house. I didn't do that many, you know, gold-plated renovations. And that's in about 20 years or so, 23 uh, years or something. 19 years, I think. Um, okay. When I when I sold it, I sold it. I was originally going to. I went in partnership with a developer. We were going to put a couple of townhouses on it and then sell the townhouses. But it turned out that it was far more lucrative to get all the plans approved by council so and then sell it so then a builder actually bought it from me he loved it because he didn't have to wait around for council to approve plans and things it was all ready to go so he paid a premium for it and I went and bought the best house in in Melbourne um 15 kilometers away right by the beach 
five minutes walk from the beach. It's a dog beach, so I can let the dogs run leash free. Um, and I absolutely love it. So wow. it's worth it. Oh. So let me just back up. So what's been your, your average salary while you've been teaching? Average salary? Ugh, because I've been teaching for a long time. Um, when I started, it was back in the 1980s. So, you know, I wouldn't have been earning very, very much um, back then. It would have been maybe probably fifty or 60000 Um, I think I think beginner teachers here earn about in mid-60s. I could be wrong. Uh, then I took 10 years off to raise the boys and um, then when I came back, I had to work my way up the scale again, which was a bit annoying. Um, and at the moment, I'm if they only paid me $500 a year more, I would be on six figures. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's it's pretty amazing. You're a millionaire, even if you take out this, you know, this, what, eight fifty or 900000 that you've made on the house. So even... Without the house thing, you're a millionaire, and you've done that off of off of a teacher salary. Yeah, it's basically frugality. Uh, I would have I would have made millionaire anyway, and I would have retired at sixty nine, which is when the old age pension kicks in here. And I probably wouldn't have needed the pension because I prefer to be a self funded retiree because you get more money. So I would have got there anyway, but by doing this house deal. I think that I've probably saved myself 10 years of work. So yeah. instead of having to work till 69, I can retire at, well, I'm hoping to retire a year or two before 60, but I can access my superannual, uh, my, I should say 401k for your listeners. I can access that when I'm 59. So even if I work another four years, I can then start accessing my super. I've got my, my um, trust things but yeah as I said I would have made it anyway just 10 years later but it's frugality and being really really um I call myself a valuist I don't mind spending money on things that I think are going to benefit me in the future or the boys uh, I will not just waste money on fripperies because it's too hard to earn and so I was brought up by an extremely frugal father. I hated it, really did, and vowed I would never be the same. But, gee, you know, when, especially in those early days when we were really, really struggling financially, the boys and I, I had already had such a good grounding in how to make money last, what to spend money on and what not to. So I've been forever grateful to my father for, for just, showing us these lessons, even though you never appreciate them at the time. Um, and I've sort of built on that going forward for for me. Like um, about three years ago, I decided that it wasn't enough just to track my expenses. What I needed to do was have like a bit of a challenge about spending. So I, I just pulled up a Word document, did a little chart thing, um, it's not an Excel spreadsheet or anything because, you know, who knows how to do that. And I just, every day I just put down in a chart what I've spent money on. And every day that I don't spend money on, I colour in the colour in the square. And that really makes spending intentional because at the end of every week if I've spent 
money on three days or less, I count that a win and I get an extra square to colouring. I'm so, so stupid. It sounds like, you know, kindergarten stuff. But it really works because if I'm, if I've started off the week really well and I'm coming up to where, oh, you know, I could get, I could make it a silver week, I won't, I'll, I'll bunch my spending together for that week. So I might put off going to the supermarket for a couple of days or put off paying a bill for a couple of days or, you know, whatever. And it's just little things like that that sound really dumb and it is dumb. You know, a grown woman going, oh, goody, I can colour in a square. But it worked for me. And so I've actually blogged about it on the blog. I've I put, took a screenshot to show people. And I don't know, some people really like the idea. So, you know, hopefully it, it gives other people ideas about how to make spending intentional. But, yeah, yeah I'm frugal, frugal, frugal. How much do you spend a year? The last, the last couple of years have been, um, have been a little bit different because I've been overseas this year to North Korea and now I'm putting massive landscaping works in at the house. But on, uh, in general, anywhere from 25 to 30. 30 is a bit spendy. Um, but yeah, I've got two boys living with me at home still. My kids are all in their 20s. One boy is an accountant. He's been out of home for about three years. I don't know how he became an accountant. The, uh, the apple fell very far from the tree with that one. And <laughs> you better be so, careful. You're talking, you're talking to two accountants here. I know. I tell you what, every, at the end of every financial year, I'm just so grateful that accountants live in the world because I wouldn't know what to do with my taxes. So I just, <laughs> I, and say, I love you. Just do your job. Uh, and my youngest one, he's living away from home. He's at a regional university doing an acting course. I'm so proud. The apple fell very far to the tree there. And so I've got my two middle boys at home. So with the three of us, um, on a spendy year, about 30 grand. And if I'm, you know, say, right, we're going to have vegetarian meals more often than we're going to be careful and blah, 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 then 25. So I think that's doing pretty well. Awesome. Do your boys know of your wealth and net worth? Yeah, they do. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to be careful. I think I'm worth more dead than alive. Um, <laughs> they're, um, yeah, when I was, they obviously know about frugality because they grew up with it and they, and I was always pretty open about finances and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then when this deal happened, I just, I, I'm an educator, of course, being a teacher, and I thought they, they really need to know the, the where's and why for's around things. So when I was having meetings, setting up trusts and things like that with the developer, I took my old son along to the meetings because, I mean, he's an accountant. He needs to know this sort of stuff. So he, he was sitting in on all of them. And and then what I did at the, at the end, once I got the money and um, – and I had a period of two years of extreme frugality before then because once I, I did the deal, I had to move out of the house um, in order for the house to be knocked down and stuff like that. We hadn't yet sold it to the developers. And most people, when they do that, they rent. But I had at the time two dogs and two cats and I knew that no landlord would ever rent to us. So I had to buy a house. So I had to get bridging finance. So 
Oh, boy, imagine borrowing $750,000. Uh, the house in the original house was the, was the um, surety for that. But I had to borrow $750,000 to get this house. So I had to get bridging finance. So every month, it was only supposed to be like for about six months, but then the council dragged their heels about permits and things so badly that it ended up being 18 months of me paying $3,000 a month just on the bridging finance. Wow. So it was, oh, boy, that was um, a lot of money. That was nearly yeah. 60%. Okay. So that was really frugal city. So when the money finally came through and I could pay off the house um, and I could finally sleep well at night because it was very stressful, um, I decided that I wanted to teach them about compound interest because it was something that I never knew about growing up. Jack knew about it being an accountant. But um, so what I did that Christmas was I printed out a certificate saying this certificate entitles the bearer to $1,000 to be put in their super fund. And with it, I gave them, I printed out two charts about compound interest. So I showed them how it would grow if they never put another penny in their super, which they will because in Australia, employers put 9.5% of your wage in there. So it's always going to grow. But just for the purposes of the the experiment or the uh, the lesson I showed them that it would grow to about 16 grand or something over 40 years and then I said if you put in another thousand dollars a month what would it grow to over 40 years and it got up to like I can't remember the figures you, you guys would know better than me it's like half a million or something and it blew their minds absolutely blew their minds and my nieces were here too at the Christmas and they were like oh, yeah we've got to know more about this and um so yeah they very quickly they're not stupid they <laughs> they got me a couple of them had to open up superannuation accounts they hadn't worked yet and yep that money went in and now they they're uh they're all, all but one is continuing to make voluntary payments into that super Oh, so I'm awesome. pretty happy. About that. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I just hope that, and I put actually that's the blog post because I blogged about that. That's the blog post that I entered into the Rockstar Rumble at the beginning of this year, and it ended up winning. Because that's great. I think, oh, I was, I was so pleased. I was in North Korea at the time, so I didn't even know I'd won until two weeks later after I got back because there's no internet there, and I think. The reason people liked it was it's an idea. Like I used a thousand dollars per child because I could. I had all that money come in, and I thought I want to share it with them somehow, but I don't want them to blow it. Yeah. But anyone, you can take any amount of money and draw up a chart and and show your child. And so it's an idea that's very duplicatable. Anyone could do it. Totally. Do your do your uh, peers or or maybe some of the other teachers know that you're as wealthy as you are? Uh, <laughs> they yeah, I guess they do. Um, my my closest friends and the, what I really like that I mean, people knew that I sold the house and I did this and I did that, and everyone at my school knows that properties. Because uh, the school I teach at is a government school and 
it's zoned. So anyone who lives in the zone, we have to take, whether they're geniuses or dribbling idiots or whatever, we have to take. And we consistently get the top, uh, you know, we're among the top schools in the state for year 12 results. So every parent wants to get their child into the school. So the only way to do that is to rent or buy a house in the zone. So, and that's another reason why my house went for so much because it, um, houses in the zone get an extra 10 to 15% on their value. So, um, yeah, that was very advantageous. And um, so we know about property values being really high in the zone and things like that. So people know that, you know, I cashed in. And what I really what I'm really excited about though is the girl who sits next to me, she is now I started talking investing and stuff like that. She's now investing and she's a single woman in her forties and getting really, really excited about retirement planning. And we talk about it a bit. And just oh, a couple of months ago, there was a couple of people who were a bit spendy in our staff room. And one of them said, Oh, I don't put any extra into superannuation. You know, oh, when mum and dad die, I'll, yeah, I'll get their money. And all of us, just all of us who were in there, our 50s and 40s, just went, what? Like, no, no, you've got to, you've got to, it's salary sacrifice. So we, we talked about that and he and another person who quietly put her head around my desk and said, um, can you tell me more about salary sacrificing? I, I really need to know more about it. I'm getting a bit worried about retirement. So both of them set up salary sacrifice. And the really cool thing about that, if you're not a numbers person, and neither of them are, they're like me, we're English teachers, is that you say, I'm going to salary sacrifice, I don't know, um, $100 out of my wage. And so mentally you expect that it's going to be $100 less. But, of course, it's less, it's more than that because you only get taxed at 15% instead of, um, no, instead of the, the tax rate that you're on. And um, so you get back more than you think you're going to get. So it just makes salary sacrificing really, really appealing. So that, that was good. I like, I like sharing, sharing the word. Yeah, I think it's good. Everyone, everyone can learn and to get it out there and, and pick something new up from somebody else. So. I want to go through some rapid fire questions here with you. Some All rapid right. fire mi- millionaire questions. So, what's the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you ever purchased? Well, clothes and food are far more expensive here than there. So, the most expensive jeans is 120 bucks. Okay, most expensive shoes. Ooh, about about 80. <laughs> okay, yeah. most expensive car. The one I'm currently driving, I bought a brand new VW Golf four years ago um, for twenty six thousand, and I'm going to drive that baby into the ground. Nice. Uh, most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Oh, that's easy. That was the celebration dinner when the money came through on the house. I took the boys out to dinner, and it was four hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, what item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on? Travel. I just came okay. back from Korea and I would never like I would never swap that experience for anything. And and what's not worth the money? Um oh, coffee. 
like coffee out at cafes. They usually burn it. I'd rather make it at home. Okay. Do you remember your your high school and college GPA, your your grades in college? Uh, we don't have a GPA here. Um, I do remember that I was very lazy, did no study, and ended up getting A's and B's. Okay. And I think we talked about this briefly, but your predicted retirement age and net worth at retirement. I'm aiming without without um, taking the house into consideration. I want to have at least 1.2 million in um, investments before I retire, and I should reach that before 60. Great, good for you. It's it's an it's an impressive story. So just before we end here, what last advice do you have for somebody? You know, whether that's somebody starting out as a single parent or somebody who's just starting out, and and you know maybe they don't have the income to build up their finances quickly, and and they're on a 20 year journey, and and maybe or maybe somebody who's demotivated. What advice do you give somebody and what mistakes have you made throughout your journey? I think that the most useful thing that anyone can can do is to be a long-term thinker because I think that's what that's what really ultimately laid the foundations for where I am now because um, I bought the house that I did, the, the original house, because it was, it was in the secondary school zone. And my oldest son was only just starting primary school and the others were all toddlers. But I looked ahead and thought, I want them to go to that prime, uh, that secondary school. We're going to live in the zone. And then every, like when, especially when the years were really hard and I had to watch every penny, I just kept my eyes on the prize of one day I'm going to have this house paid for. One day I'm going to go to Europe. When the kids leave school, I'm going to go to Europe. I planned a trip to Europe when I was 15. I didn't end up going until I was 51. Oh, it was the best trip ever. Um, so if you're a short-term thinker, and I've got very dear friends who are short-term thinkers, and they've got beautiful ha- houses, all the knickknacks. They've got great clothes. They go out all the time but they cannot ever afford to retire. I don't know what they're going to do when they're old and it's, it's you know, it's not my problem, I guess, but I still worry about it. But enjoy your short-term things, but be very selective about what they are and just keep really long-term goals in mind and just step-by-step step keep working towards them. Wow. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. It's an impressive story going from, you know, four little kids and, and, and being a single mom all the way up to being worth two million now. It's, it's, it's impressive on a range of income from 60 to 100. And what a journey. Thanks for, uh, for sharing the story. Thanks for coming on. Where can people get a hold of you? Um, my financial independence blog is uh, burningdesireforfire.wordpress.com. It's a it's a free site because yeah, I'm frugal. Um, at Twitter, I'm at frogdancer3, and I have a, a Facebook page, Frogdancer Jones. But you know, I just not very active. Don't bother. Awesome. So again, that's Frogdancer Jones with a net worth of two million. Thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. 
For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.